Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the code CG at checkout to get 10% off. CG like Chris Gethard, that's me, 10% off, Squarespace. Let's take a second right here to talk about Mac Weldon, who make a variety of products, including the underwear I am currently wearing. Not a lie, I like it. It's better underwear than I've ever worn before. It makes me feel classy, makes me feel like I look good, even though nobody can see it. It's antimicrobial, eliminates odor. If you don't like the first pair, keep it. They'll refund you anyway. No questions asked. Mack Weldon, good company. Support them like they support us. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code BEAUTIFUL. What's up, party people? This is Chris Gethard, and you're listening to Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. One phone call, one hour, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one, I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, welcome, I want to thank everybody who's listening, in particular I want to thank any fans of This American Life who may have joined us in, in recent weeks. Huge, huge thanks to TAL, huge thanks to Ira Glass for featuring our show, and thank you guys for all getting on board. You made us the number one podcast on iTunes, and that's such a an overwhelming and unexpected honor. So, so happy to have you guys on board. Today's episode, we're talking about two things primarily, death for a long time, and then what else do you want to talk about after you dwell on death? Sex. Yeah, we talk about sex towards the end, and it gets pretty, I tell you what, pretty loose about it, pretty, uh, pretty candid. And we hear about a young lady's uh, needs and desires, and she was so open, so honest, and I tell you, I want to thank her for her call. I have a lot of nostalgia for this call. Here's a, here's a spoiler. This was the first call we ever took for Beautiful Anonymous, and I, I greatly enjoyed it. It's the one that kicked things off, and uh, things have gotten to a really exciting place, so it's very appropriate. Thank you guys again for your support. Thank you to all our new listeners. Thank you to all our old supporters. Enjoy this call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. So don't tell me your name. Tell me anything you want besides your name. What should we talk about today? Hi, talk to me. Um, Yes. uh, Why don't we... um, Talk about uh, I don't know why death just came to me first. <laughs> it's really morbid. Death? I would <laughs> yeah. love I would love to talk with you about death for an hour, stranger. <laughs> have you had experience with death? Have you are you familiar with death? Are, have you seen it? Not really. No. Okay. Um, I just find it. I I just like find it funny. You find um, death funny. That we're not that we're uh, that we're not like thinking about it all the time. This is officially since I got married. I think about death every day. That's one of the dark things about marriage that people don't tell you. Is that I now feel like if I die, I'm failing someone else. So yeah. I do. I do consider the fact that I'm going to die every day. I do. Yeah, I think about it all the time. You do. You dwell on it. 
And what is it a fearful thing for you, or is it something you just have to accept? Is it something you're fascinated by? Um, oh, well, I've never had somebody like somebody close to me die before. So I think I'm just really nervous for like the first time. So it's not even your own death you think about. It's the death, mm-hmm. just death in general, the potential of people around you to die. Yeah, I think if I died, I wouldn't be that upset about it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> See, that, here's where I'm at with death lately is I think about every day at some point it will just pop into my head like, oh, one day you'll die. Like I'll either get hit by a bus or I'll be in a hospital bed and my brain will just turn off. Yeah. I uh, I just had a surgery for internal hemorrhoids, not a bad surgery. I've it's It's a whole mess. Hemorrhoids are not a good thing. It's one of the first things that's happened to me where I'm like, oh, I'm old. I'm of a certain age now. But I had to get a surgery, and they put me under anesthesia. And anesthesia is so weird because they just turn you off. And I was like, I, I, if that's what dying is, that's not so bad. If everything just goes black and then you're just off, that seems okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't see what would be scary about it. I mean, it would suck that you don't get to live the rest of your life. But um, I, don't, I don't know what I think happens after, but I think it's sort of, Nothing, so <laughs> nothing doesn't sound that bad. Yeah, so you're not an afterlife person. You don't you're not a heaven or hell person. You just think I mean boom, I, was that's raised, it. I was raised with no religion. I don't know if I think boom that's it because I I don't see how when we each experience the world from our own heads, uh how there couldn't be something connecting it or something looking over all of it. Um, but I don't know. I'm not not like a religious person. I definitely don't think there's, like, a hell or a heaven. Uh, I've never said that before. (laughs) No, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're sharing. And, again, no one knows who you are, so you can say whatever you want. Well, I said something something to someone recently kind of about this, and they really, like, judged me for it. And I said, um, what did I say? Oh, my, uh, at my job, our financial guy is trying to get us to do 401, to invest in our 401k. And I didn't want to do it because, um, I don't know, I'm not like a, I'm not like a gambling person and I sort of always think the worst. So I always think, (laughs) well, I'm going to lose all my money. Like I played the Powerball once and I, I hyperventilated all day, like waiting for the numbers to come out. It made me feel physically ill. I don't like stuff like that. So I didn't want to do it. And they said, well, even, you know, I said, what if I die? What if I put all this money away and I die? And they're like, well, it would go to your family and I was like well when I'm dead I won't really care yeah but I have a couple thoughts on this well because to me I don't have any thoughts at that point so that's a horrible thing to say I love my family I love everybody but once I'm dead like I'm not a thing anymore hold on let's get into it before we get into the philosophical (laughs) ponderings of death I just want to talk financials real quick Invest in your 401k. You have to put money in your 401k. And I'm the worst person at math, and no one likes gambling with money less than I do. I didn't even have a savings account until I was like 30. But one thing to keep in mind is it's not just you have a 401k that you're never allowed to use and then you die. It's for when you get old and sick and you want to have quality of life. So you're gonna, I don't think I'm going to get old. What's that supposed to mean? I don't, I don't think I'm going to get old. I think I'll probably die before I'm old. See, but everyone thinks that until you're like 29. You're younger. Yeah. Can I ask you? You don't have to tell me your actual age. You're younger than 29, right? 
I'm 25. You're 25. Yeah, you still think that you're just going to like burn out bright and die young like a Bruce Springsteen song, but you're not. <laughs> One day you're yeah. just going to be like somebody who when you wake up and stretch all your bones crack and you're going you're gonna to not be able to move up and down stairs and it's going to be depressing and then you you need that money. So financially, the fact that you just compared your 401k to a Powerball ticket <laughs> is distressing. It's disturbing. And I don't, I don't about my 401k, really. Look into it. It's a good idea. And that's coming from someone who um, hates the banking industry and is pretty much a communist in his um, values. Well, I did it. I invested. I did You did. It. Okay, good. Because that and sent my, panic through me. My employer meets the percentage I put in, so it really does make sense to do it. Yeah. Oh, my God. As a self-employed <laughs> man, you get matching funds, you got to do it or else you're just nuts. Or else well, you're nuts. I, yeah. That's good. No, it's really How, good. Can you lose it? Can you lose all of it? I don't think so. It's a retirement thing. It's not like a money. It, that's. It's not like stocks. It's a retirement fund. It's about as safe as your money can be. I think. I don't know. I'm really bad with this stuff. Our financial guy said if you don't put it in cash, where it earns no interest, and you put it in anything else, it's possible to lose it all. And the idea of having, uh, like, being somebody who's never like had much money at all, the idea of having a lot of money and then losing it is like terrifying. So you'd rather? Oh, that's interesting. So you'd rather just stay relatively poor. poor you'd rather stay poor than be rich and get poor again like some like uh like flowers for algernon you ever read that book <laughs> no it's a guy and he's he's mentally touched he's mentally challenged and then they find a way to cure him but then the cure wears off and he slowly descends back into his former state and is now painfully aware of where he's headed yeah so you'd rather ra- just be poor and happy than have a fleeting dalliance with wealth and then have it taken away. You'd rather not know. You'd rather not know what you don't have. Yeah, and I just think the concept of having a lot of money freaks me out, too. Really? Yeah. Because I really like stuff, but I don't really like that about myself, and I feel like the more money you make, (laughs) the more shit you buy, and then one day it like all comes crumbling down. So you feel like you have a negative level of materialism, a level of materialism in your life you're not proud of, but luckily you don't have the money to enable your own bad qualities. Yes. Wow. That is a real level of self-awareness that I admire. (laughs) I'm a little way too (laughs) self-aware. No, I think it's a good thing, but I also think, you know, because I'll tell you, if I I don't want to make it about me, but my family, we grew up very poor. And, uh, you know, my grandparents are immigrants from Ireland. And then we, uh, I remember when I was real little, one of my, one of my most, um, one of the memories that touches me most as an adult is I remember my mom, she threw my brother, I think, it wasn't even me, it was a birthday party she had all these carnival games set up in our backyard, like all these games where you're like throwing things through holes and trying to get things to land on things, but like real big carnival games. And I always remembered it from when I was real little as this like beautiful thing. And then when I got older, I asked her about it and she told me she found all those things in the trash of the preschool down the block and realized she could throw my brother a good party. And that always like makes me choke up when I think about like my mom just being like resourceful having no money. But then my parents did get money later in life. My dad actually had a, he worked for the company that made Viagra and had stock options. So when Viagra came out, he made a whole bunch of money and we kind of had to learn, had to learn how to have money. It was really a strange adjustment for me because I spent so much of my life resenting people with money. And then all of a sudden there was just not like wealth. It wasn't like I was Scrooge McDuck diving into a, a, 
a lighthouse full of gold, but all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's some breathing room and I don't know how to handle it because I always hated people yeah. who have breathing room. I hate I hate people with money. You hate I feel, people I with feel, money. I feel really bad about it because I'm like, they're probably good people. And some of them. For them, they're successful, but so I when think you, like, like money was the reason that like my parents split out when I was younger. I've always had like a bad... So money bad issues feeling about money, I guess. Money issues led to a bad split. What are some examples of times you've been around rich people where you're just seething with resentment? <laughs> um well uh, recently my dad came to the city and we had um we uh, uh he came with this other woman and her son and I was having a great time with them. Um but then her brother who uh they're from Connecticut but they're brother who lived in Manhattan met us and uh my dad was telling me about him he was he was telling me about how much this woman was struggling to like she's a single mother and she's like raising her son and how uh this brother that was coming to meet us for dinner has just billions billions of dollars and 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 I was like why would you not just give your sister like a million dollars and just like make her life easy like I don't I've noticed that when people with money get like weird about it, even if even as small as like going to dinner with a friend that you know makes uh, six figures, they're always the one that's the weirdest about the way the check is split and stuff. And I just don't. That's true. Understand it? Yeah, I don't get it. Well, when we uh, went to dinner with this brother, I was talking about. Um, I mean, first his wife wife showed up, and she was just like. Just really skinny, tall, leggy, pinch nose, like beautiful, rich uh, woman. And uh, the first thing I noticed about them was that they just seemed like they hated each other, which I noticed a lot too. Just wow. <laughs> they seemed like they had they were, they were the people that would fly to you know fly to Paris for dinner, and they just seemed so uh, unhappy. And I think the way that we stuck it to. The guy was, uh, we went to get a drink, but he asked for a table uh, at this at this restaurant in the theater district. So we sat down and he said, you know, you have to order something because they gave us a table. You have to order food. So he ordered a meal and uh, his wife ordered a meal, but the rest of us ordered like a really small appetizer. Shame, and we, and we were like, no, that's all we want. That's all we need right now is an appetizer. And I think we were sort of subconsciously sticking it to him. Like, I don't need your filet mignon. You don't get to throw your money around. You can save your you can save your seared scallops. I'm gonna do me. I'm gonna do my work. I'm gonna live in my working class roots. That yeah. type of thing. <laughs> sort of, yeah. And then my and then my dad and I drank like way way too much wine. And my dad's an alcoholic, and I really shouldn't be encouraging him <laughs> to drink. But at that point, I was like, I was like, you're not driving. Let's like let loose and just drink way too much wine. So you were like. You, you're trying to show off with your fancy rich person meals and you're trying to make us somehow dependent on you subconsciously. So I'm going to sit here and enable my dad and we're just going to get down the way we get down and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. And how did it end? How did it end with your dad? Uh, he was pleasantly drunk, as was I. Um, I think he like offered... I think it makes me upset too because... It's so flashy, and, like, my dad is never someone that's had money, and it makes me think about, like, how it makes him feel being, like, the other man at the table, where it's, like, I don't know. I think my dad's pretty good about that. My dad's not, um, my dad never really cares about money. My dad's the guy that buys, like, a, uh, does not want a nice car. He would rather buy 
really shitty cars that break down and then he has to get another shitty car. And is that, does he have a, does he have a strategy there or is it just <laughs> self-sabotage? I don't know. He just doesn't want to have a nice car and doesn't really want to have like uh, a nice apartment or it was something that I think really bothered my mom. And I think bothered me when I was younger. And now I've just really like accepted it about him and kind of seen him more as like, he's just somebody going through life and maybe that's how he like wants to live. So does he have, is it like a self-esteem thing? Do you think he's like beating himself up? So he's surrounded, he puts himself in situations that reflect that. No, I honestly just think he's happy with, uh, I don't know. That's a big question. So you think it's more of like a choice, almost like a, uh, like a, uh, like a Christian, like a Catholic, like live, I choose to live below my means. I choose to a simple life, a meager life. No. Oh God, I don't know what it is. I've never thought about it. But you, so it sounds like you're uncertain of what exactly they are, but there are some psychological issues with your dad that lead to this. Maybe. Interesting. I don't know. I did always wonder because finances was such a big part of why my parents split. Like my dad, I didn't realize it when this when I was little, but we had a code when we would call my house. Um, if I ever called home from school or something, I was supposed to call, let it ring once, hang up, and then call again. And my parents were like, that's how we'll know that it's you calling. But I didn't know that was because collections people would call our house all day because my dad would charge credit cards and fill them and just never pay them. Whoa. So I thought it was like a fun childhood thing, but it turned, you know, came to find that it was that. Um, but my mom told me, I think once, we grew up in this house that was like built by um, this guy that didn't know how to build houses, but had no foundation, <laughs> no foundation, no basement. It was definitely built by a bachelor. No foundation, no basement, no storage space, no attic. Um, it was on a lake. Uh, we still to this day cannot find our, our, uh, our well where we get our water. We dug up the whole backyard and can't find it. But it was a magical, it was a really magical, cool house to grow up in, but it was So wait, you're, st- you're just drinking mystery water and you don't know where it comes from? <laughs> we couldn't find our well, so we had to have, uh, we had to install like two filters in our water or else it would be orange. Wait, wait, the house you grew up in, when you turn on all the faucets, the water comes out orange? Yes, because it would have so much uh, like copper in it. And, and we, no one we, can track the pipes to where they go. We were trying to dig the well out of the backyard, but we could never find it because the guy that built it didn't take note of anything. Wow. And the city signs off on all this. The city doesn't crack down and come in and say, none of this is up to code. You can't live in this like, I don't know if they know. fantasy house. <laughs> I don't, we don't live, they don't live there anymore. Uh, but yeah, no, that was the thing. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> so there were a lot of things... Like orange water and the phone it, call when game. It rained, yeah, when it rained, water would come down our walls and up to the carpet. And so my mom was, and there was mold everywhere. And my mom was miserable. She felt like, uh, it was kind of like a beautiful metaphor. She felt like her house was like crumbling around her. And it actually kind of was. Um, but like one time she saved up, I think she saved up a bunch of money to finally like redo all the carpets, which is what she always wanted. And then she went to take it out of the bank. And my dad had like slowly withdrawn the money out of it and it wasn't there. Oh, wow. So your and, dad, you know, I'm not trying to come down on him, and it sounds like you're still close, but it sounds like your dad yeah, was... Yeah, it's so bad that I'm talking about him now. He's also the most wonderful man I know and, like, my best friend. 
Hey, well, <laughs> first of all, this is a safe space because nobody yeah. knows who you are, and I got your back, and I'm the one asking the question. So if anything goes wrong, it's my fault. It's not your <laughs> fault. But yeah. that's an interesting dichotomy to me because it's you're saying your dad's your best friend and he's wonderful. It also sounds like he was a little bit of a you know no offense. It sounds like he was a little bit of a hell raising bastard in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think he used to borrow money out of my savings account when I was a kid, but like I don't think I knew about it. Wow. <laughs> and you but, have you sound so well adjusted though. Uh, I mean, I'm really fucked up. If I'm being you honest. are. <laughs> you are. No, yeah. Be honest about it. You're fucked up. Yeah. And that seems like a good place to take a breath, because she's uh she's getting into it. And aren't we all a little fucked up at the end of the day? Why don't we all dwell on that, brace ourselves, and in the meantime, here's some words from some of our very much appreciated sponsors. Today's sponsor, Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash beautiful and using the code beautiful. You spend a third of your life sleeping. You got to make sure you're doing that. On a good mattress, you know, so get one that has good sink, good bounce. This this mattress, hybrid, latex foam, memory foam, risk-free trial and return policy. They deliver it to you. You try it for 100 days, and if you're not happy, they pick it back up. That's 100 days. That's insane. You go to a store, sleep on a mattress for like five minutes. You lay on the mattress, and then they're bothering you to buy a Casper. You sleep on it for a real long time. It's $500 for a twin-size Nine fifty for a king size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that is outstanding. You get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchase by going to Casper.com/slash/beautiful using the code beautiful. Of course, terms and conditions apply. All that stuff, but check it out. Casper mattresses. And now let's return to our phone call in progress. honest <laughs> you are no yeah be honest about it you're fucked yeah. up when you I make it through about, the day when yeah. i think about my family i'm like yeah it's hard and does this affect like your relationships your trust your things like that or are you like already rallying against that to make sure you don't perpetuate the cycle how does it work i only ask that not to be insensitive but my family my mom i give my mom so much credit because her household was about as insane a household as you'll ever hear about growing up but then she went yeah. some of her siblings I think dove into that but she went and set up a house where she's like no there's not going to be a drop of alcohol in this house and things are going to actually be calm well, yeah, and sane it's the, the best thing anyone's ever done for me well here's the thing she, yeah, she, she, yeah. even out to score here between my parents because I've been between them my whole life Okay, yeah, yeah, let's break it down. Because I, I, my parents are still married, and I know I'm lucky. So hearing the inside dirt on this, I got to say, it yeah. might be painful for you. I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, it was very fine. interesting. It's very interesting for me to hear. So, okay, so my parents are both alcoholics. My mom is an alcoholic where she'll drink every day. My dad is an alcoholic where he'll never drink, but when he does, he goes like rock bottom. That's what I did. That's why I don't drink. I was more okay. like your dad. Yeah, the last time I saw my dad really drink, other than the other night when it was fine, uh, probably because I didn't. I, he left the city. I didn't see him later that night. Uh, last time I saw him, we were we, he went to like a school reunion, uh, and I was in the area. I was at a coffee shop working on something, and he went to this reunion for a few hours. And I went to meet back up with him, and I found him sitting on a bench with like blood dripping down his face, and he had like gotten so drunk that he like fell on the sidewalk and hit his head, and didn't realize there was like blood all over his face. Whoa. And he didn't really drink. I think my earliest childhood memory is like, my earliest childhood memory ever 
is um, me and my brother really small in our kitchen. My dad was like passed out on the kitchen floor and my mom came home and I think he was like alone with us. My mom came home from work and we thought he was dying. And I remember like pointing at the poison control skull on the, on the phone list being like, call 911 and my mom being like, no, he's fine. He's just really drunk. And I found out later that was the day that my dad, my dad used to make a good amount of money. Uh, where he worked, and uh, like a week after they had given him like a ten thousand dollar raise, he they like fired him. They like laid him off. Whoa, a raise one week. Yeah, a layoff the next, and then they laid him off. Uh, so yeah, he's more like sporadic like that, but he's still as I think as much an alcoholic as my mom. But my mom growing up was more like, because I lived with my mom when my parents got divorced. Uh, first they live in like separate bedrooms and then my dad left. My dad was super present though. My, none of my friends knew my parents were divorced because every time they came over, my dad was like at the house. Oh, wow. That's nice. Us, That's pretty beautiful. Which was great. And he's, he never lived more than like five minutes away from us. Um, and my mom has always said he's a really good dad. Like he was a really good dad. He was a really shitty husband. He's a great dad. Well, that's um, nice. That's a beautiful thing for your mom yeah. to say. But so girl, the divorce helped them. It helped quell I mean, a lot of Yeah, when they told us we're getting divorced, we didn't cry or anything. We were like, good. Like, nice. do it. <laughs> nice. So how has this fucked you up? How has all this uh, fucked you up? Well, I mean, growing up living with my mom then, it was like a battle every single day and horrible. When I think about my childhood, it just like, there were really beautiful things, but mostly it was like horrible. But then I went to... Uh, college and started drinking for the first time and, and getting shit-faced and seeing people get shit-faced. And then I came home and I saw my mom and we were like in a fight and her, like her eyes were all red and she was kind of slurry. And I was like, Oh my God, you've been drunk this whole time. Like this makes so much sense. Like I thought you were crazy. Like I was, at one uh... point, like, I, was, I was afraid that my mom was like mentally, like she was insane. Wow. But I was like, no, you were just drunk. Like, this all makes sense now. And I talked so to my it was brother a relief. about it. It was a relief to find out your mom was an alcoholic. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> but it made everything make sense because I was like, oh, that's why, like, I would talk to you. And it would be like you weren't hearing anything I was saying because I felt like I was going crazy. <laughs> wow. And you had said you talked to your brother. Yeah, and my brother said the exact same thing. He said, uh, yeah, I came home from college and I realized, oh my God, she's drunk the whole time. And my brother, I think, was affected. He was affected by it also. And we're still affected by it. We're like still struggling with it. You guys are close, uh, you and your brother? Yeah, I think we're close now because we're the only two people that get it. Older brother, younger brother? Older brother. Wow. Um, he, the way it's affected him is he can't yell without bursting in his ears. Oh, wow. So, like, any anger or emotion in that direction. Yeah, if he done. ever has a fight with his girlfriend, he, like, I could hear him, like, fight with his girlfriend, and he would, like, burst into tears. Oh, um, wow. That's that's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you can't deal with one issue without other issues just surging to the surface, that's got to be rough. Yeah, he would just hide in his room a lot. I remember, too, after college, I found out my brother was, like, smoking weed all the time in his room and i kind of hated that too like i didn't know my brother was high a lot wow so you're just surrounded by impaired people and you're not <laughs> that's just not that's not fair because it's like you never had firm footing you never had all the info no i never really had and meanwhile you know i'm a kid and my parents when your parents get worse than your kid it's yeah. like you can't uh you're all they have so you, oh. you become their best friend. That So when they want to talk about their, their, especially when you get to teenagers, you start to have relationships and stuff, they want to talk to you about, 
uh, their relationship. They want to tell you why why they don't like the other person. So you get really put, you get talked to like you're an adult. Like I knew from from really really young that uh, all the stuff my dad did wrong, all the stuff my mom did wrong. I knew that we were at any moment going to lose our house. So it was like I'm in this house that's like falling apart. We're going to lose it at any moment. Like, I'm reminded of it every day. Like, my family's broken apart now. So it's like, what do you hold on to in that situation? But I'm going wow. to school, and I'm like, a de- I'm like a decent kid. I'm doing plays, and I draw, and I seem perfectly normal. But then I go home, and it's like, I guess I didn't. I went to therapy recently for the first time, and I was like, I don't deserve to be here. Like, I don't really have problems. Like, I really don't. There are people out there with huge issues. And then I started saying all this stuff, and this therapist was like, sounds like a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. And I think I, I think that's, I think, you know, I'm, I, I've never hidden the fact that I'm in therapy. I'm a big advocate for it. But I think there is a thing. Of, I think no matter who you are, you kind of feel like other people have bigger problems, and it feels like I shouldn't deal with mine. And it sounds like you are someone who's able to talk about this stuff. And just talking to you, it sounds like you got a head on your shoulders. So it seems like maybe you shouldn't sort it out. But probably just based on what you've told me, it can't hurt. It can't hurt to talk to somebody about this, right? I think that's pretty good. That's pretty bold. That's pretty great that you uh, sought out therapy. I think that's a good thing. I think that's nice. I, I sort of tell a lot of people about this stuff. That's probably for the best, right? That probably allows you some ownership over it, I'd imagine, some strength to feel like this is not this is not a secret that's going to limit me. It's going to be something that I put on the table and therefore have power over. I'd imagine. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Is that how you feel about it? I don't think of it as like a secret. I think I don't know. Going back to what we were, uh, we got into this talking about how it's affected you or whatever. It kind of coming back to like death and money and all of that. Yeah. The other thing about your parents getting divorced is that now they have no financial stability and no life plan. Like my parents don't have retirement. Like my dad, Uh. my dad doesn't have health insurance. So that's um, another. So that's another part of this whole four hundred one k thing to loop it back around. You just have never seen it in action. You don't know what it is or how it works. My family, yeah, my family has never had like savings. Like when everybody lost all their money, when everyone like lost all their investments and stuff, my family wasn't affected because they didn't have anything to lose. Oh wow! So is it fair <laughs> to say? Is it fair to say out of your nuclear family, it sounds like you're the you're the youngest, but maybe also the one who has her shit together the most. I don't. Um... No, my brother really has his shit together, I think. Oh, that's so he's not still a big pothead. I mean, he's a big pothead, but I don't I don't know if I think of that as I mean, it bothers me because he does it every day and I don't think he thinks of it as in uh as altering his person even though I think it pretty clearly is. Right. No, I, I don't I mean can't to judge him. To that. No, yeah, all I've heard about him that. is that he smokes a lot of weed and cries. <laughs> all, that's all you've told me about him is that he cries and smokes weed. So oh. I was just assuming that you maybe no, he's, he has his shit together more than anyone, I think. He's married, has a good job, uh, is probably going to start having kids, is really oh, happy beautiful. with a very simple family life. I'm beautiful. not worried about him anymore. That's great. That's um, such a nice feeling, right? But I think what I'm worried about, yeah, what I'm, what I'm worried about most of him right now is that with all the alcohol problems in my family, specifically with my mom, uh, I think he's starting to, now that he has his own family, I think he's starting to kind of stray 
and realize that he doesn't really have to be maybe a part of this family anymore. Of 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 his like he has a new family. Yeah. So he can escape some of the trauma of his original family. Yeah. Interesting. And that's got to scare you because he's the one, like you said, who gets it. I don't know. I feel like he's going to stop, like, showing up. But here's the thing I'll say, and I'm not this conversation is yours. You can send it in whatever direction you want. We keep talking. You've talked about how your worries with your dad and your mom and your brother. But you, I wonder, I, I, I'm wondering more about you because you're yeah. the one on the phone with me. You know, I it know. seems like you're someone who maybe has... <laughs> been dealt a hand who you have to be responsible for a lot of other people who are older than you and you have to worry a lot about a lot of other people who's probably their job is to worry about you and that got flipped in a way that's not fair but i I younger when i was younger it was like i'd constantly worry about my parents killing themselves because they don't have anybody and they're like openly miserable so there's that but then now it's like more now that I, uh, you know, have finances and I have a 401k, I'm thinking about like, you guys have no life plan. Like, yeah, you have no plan. So like dad, if you get cancer again, like, what are you going to do? Like, is it, is it up to me? Like, do I, <laughs> yeah. Are you like, bracing for, are you bracing <laughs> for that? Are you bracing for that reality where this probably ties back into the death thing that you brought up originally? Yeah. Because you got you haven't dealt with it yet, but it sounds like it sounds like a pro, it's always a thing that's unknown for all of us. I don't know how I'm going to react when my parents are going to die, Ugh. but it sounds like for you, you've got to think about these things in a way where you have no idea what impact it's going to have on you. Yeah. Because how do you predict that in general? Let alone in a situation where you're dealing with people who are maybe not, um, maybe don't have the infrastructure in place to help you through that. Yeah. That's a bummer. It's a real bummer. I tell you, this has been an awfully cheerful conversation that has yeah, dealt I'm with. Yeah, really I feel like I've treated this more like a therapy. At one point, no. I forget I'm on a podcast. <laughs> no, that's good. I'm into it. I, I, I do nothing but listen to Morrissey. I'm, I'm always down to have a sad conversation. and Because here's the thing. I don't care about being funny. I'm a comedian, but who cares? I'd rather, let's be honest, who cares? And this has been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah. That's good. Because we got about, I mean, you still have about 20 minutes left on the clock. You're allowed to hang up whenever you want. I, I, I'm down for at least 20 more minutes. You tell me. Yeah. But I like talking about all this stuff. I like that yeah. we're taking a breath now coming up to address the fact that this has been really grim. But I think it's been interesting. And if you're yeah. into it, I'm into it. Yeah. I'm into it. Okay, so death. So what do we want to talk about with death? Let's bring it back around. Cool. Let's just get right into the ultimate grim topic, yeah. death. I feel like we brought up death and then there was 40 minutes of backstory that clearly <laughs> lead us back to death. Back to death. So you've got all these people in your life and you've always had to be the adult when maybe it's not the most fair situation in the world and you don't know how to deal with death, but it's coming. It's inevitable for all of us. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like ugh, death sounds like kind of good. Whoa! <laughs> like, um, well, that ain't that ain't cool. <laughs> I know. Anytime you say this, you have to preface it with "I'm not suicidal." Um, I've been there, and I've been I've been suicidal. I'll tell you that I'm an open book, so I get it. I'm not going to judge it. I understand it. It's hard. Sometimes I just 
don't get why we do all of this. I also think there is a thing um, that I, I wouldn't be, I would be surprised if there's not studies about this psychologically. We've extended the human lifespan like three times longer than it should be without medicine. Yeah. So I think naturally you hit a point where you're like, I was supposed to have, like, we're built to have kids when we're 14 and be yeah. dead by the time we're 30. Yeah. Like, you're elderly in a natural state. You're 25. You're elderly as far as the rules were written go. But instead, you got to just keep slugging it out till you're 75. Funny, too, because, you know, we, we used to just uh, hunt for food and... Uh, you know, our lives were 70% leisure, but now we've made it for ourselves where most people hate their lives. But we live them uh, forever. You know, forever. Yeah, we like want to live as long as sea turtles, but all sea turtles have to do is just swim around and be adorable. Okay, well, I've I've witnessed some death in my life, not firsthand. I've never actually seen anyone die, but I've had people in my life die. Do you have any questions for me about the process of death? I mean, I've only known one person that died. Okay. And he died when he was 20. He was um, hit by one of the shuttle buses at my college. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, and he was a year younger than me. Okay. Um, Were you close? I don't know if we were close. Well, then you probably weren't weren't that close then. We were in a club together, so we spent at least, like, I'd say five hours together a week. But it was mostly defined by involvement in that activity. Yes. Okay, so we all get a sense. We've all had relationships like that where it's you share a certain thing, but you're not necessarily – you're not scrambling to get dinners together and stuff like that. Well, who have you known that's died? I've known, let's see, I knew when I was born, all my grandparents were alive. Um, let me, here's what I'll do. How's this sound? I'll let you know just an overview of people in my life I know who died. And then you can ask me about the different scenarios. Cause I have the grandparents who all died of natural causes, um, different, different ways. Um, one when I was seven. And then I think the last one when I was I don't remember if my if my grandfather or my grandmother passed away last, but they were. It was just after college, I think. My last grandparent died, and they were all tough in different ways, and they all handled it in different ways. Um, and then I also let's see, I have uh, probably the one that's messed me up the most is that the kid I grew up with, um, like on my block, like like the you know the friends you have who live on your block, like that's a special kind of friendship. And there was this one kid who I was, like, attached at the hip with. Our our families wound up being good friends. We'd go on vacations together. I mean, this kid was my best friend. And then he moved to a different town um, just before junior high. And we'd still see each other. And we'd still our families would still get together a whole bunch of times a year and whatnot. But we weren't as close after he moved. But he died of a heroin overdose mm-hmm. about maybe eight or nine years ago. And that was brutal. That was the most brutal one. That was the one where I had like nightmares about it. And then another, another friend I had who actually, again, actually uh, another kid who grew up on the same block, these two kids, it was me and these two kids and they both died of heroin and I became like a suicidal depressed person for a while. I don't know what was happening in our childhood that all three of us dealt with stuff, but yeah, they both died of heroin. But my friend Josh was the worst one. That one still for years, I had nightmares um, with him. So that was the most traumatic one. If you want to ask about that, the grandparents less traumatic. And then trying to think some other people along the way. Um, but those were the ones who were closest for sure is the grandparents, which would give you more an idea. I think of the 
the traditional, a family member has died and what's the process surrounding that. And then the heroin one, which was much more of a traumatic, like, oh, that didn't need to happen. How do we deal with this and rebuild from there? So I think those are the two angles I can speak to involving my personal experiences with with people dying in my life. So where do you think they are? This phone call's really rolling, and I know there's a lot of momentum. You know what's only going to add to that momentum? It's taking a quick moment to hear from some sponsors. Let's talk about Squarespace for a second. Squarespace is a product that I can very honestly endorse. I will tell you, the Chris Gethard Show, our website, it's a Squarespace right now. We needed to make one that we could really uh, use intuitively, one that we could adjust and make uh, alterations to on the fly as things change to week, week to week. And we weren't messing around. We went right to Squarespace, and we have not regretted it one time. You can go ahead there. You can build a website, portfolio, online store. It's very, very easy. You go ahead. They look professionally designed regardless of skill level. You don't need to know how to write code. I can vouch for this. I don't know how to design a web space, and I personally help build the site for the Chris Gethard Show. It's all very easy to use. You get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So start your free trial site today. You go to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, make sure you use the offer code CG to get 10% off your first purchase. Do it right now. I'm not kidding. It's easy. It's useful. It's everything they claim to be. Squarespace, do it now. Are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? You've been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that is not all. Oh, no, when you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for little inspiration, plus a free extra gift. So sensual, I can't even mention it on the on the air here. So to top it all off, I'll tell you what, they'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, they're not kidding. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type stories for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and Free shipping. Just use offer code STORIES at adamandeve.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-E-S at adamandeve.com. Okay, everybody, make sure those earphones are all the way in. Take a deep breath. We're getting back to the phone call. I think those are the two angles I can speak to involving my personal experiences with, with people dying in my life. So where do you think they are? I don't know. I don't know. Because I'll tell you, I don't know your, your ethnic background. I, I'm Irish Catholic, and uh, we are a superstitious people. And I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but ethnically, that's how I would describe myself. And there's weird there, – I've seen weird things. I've had a few weird things happen. Like, um, like my grandfather had a stroke, a pretty massive stroke at one point, and I'm – this is uh, so much to explain, and what a bizarre thing to say. I'm pretty sure he inhabited my body in the moment when it happened. It was a very, very strange incident where I started crying in school and had like a weird seizure thing, and then later found out it happened at the same exact time my grandfather had a stroke. Another, I had a cousin who died as well, very young. That was a bad one. He died in a motorcycle accident. Um, he lived in well, California. You've had a lot of death in your life. Yeah, I have. I've had a decent amount. He died. Um, 
uh, yeah, he, he, he died when I was in seventh grade. He was so cool. I lived in New Jersey. He lived in California and he was really just so cool. And I remember his name, his nickname was Tiger. That His real name was Paul. Nobody called him Paul. His name was Tiger, had a leather jacket, drove a motorcycle. And I remember I used to get picked on and he'd come to town and he'd like, just like shit on my bullies and tell me I was cool. And it always felt good. He, he died in a motorcycle accident, New Year's Eve. But right before that happened, maybe three or four months before that happened, he was in Jersey and my grandfather walked up and threw, my grandmother threw holy water on him and was like, you need this. And we were all like, whoa. And then my mom just told me a story. She used to be a teacher in a Catholic school and it was really run down and the, uh, the ceiling collapsed. And right before it did, my mom heard a voice in her head say the words, tell all the children to come to you right now. And it was my uh, my grandmother's voice, and she had just passed away. So I don't know. There's been some things uh, in my family where I'm like, well, there's. I don't know if I believe in heaven. I think, you know, for a guy who's like a very liberal artist living in New York City, I think I quietly believe in something religious a little bit more than most of my atheist peers. I don't roll my eyes at it, certainly. Um, and I think there's some level of spirituality in the sense that you have a spirit that is the thing that defines you. So I don't know where they go, but I think it exists in some sense. I don't think it's just like all of a sudden you're just a pile of meat and bone. And I don't think that's just me rationalizing that because I don't mind if you're just a pile of meat and bone, but I just don't know if that's the case. I don't know mm-hmm. that people will have the, I don't know that people can have the impact they have on you if all we are at the end of the day is just like animals that are programmed yeah. to to eat and reproduce. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just want to believe that people are more than that, but um I do believe they go somewhere at least for a little while. We also my wife and I our cat died last year and it almost definitely haunts our house. Your cat died? Our cat died, and we hear her running around and using her litter box, even though it doesn't exist. It's freaky. It's weird. It's freaky. Wow. But yeah, I probably believe in ghosts on some level, quietly. This is freaking you out. Me? It sounds like you're getting, you're clamming up a little bit. No, like, I'm just listening. You were much. You were way more down to talk about the living traumas of alcoholism than you are the <laughs> theoretical traumas of death. Thinking about when you talked about your cat, it made me think about when we put my cat to sleep when I was younger, and I it was just uh, it made me think about being like, okay, today's the day we're gonna go kill the cat. So they go by the cat. So wait, I got a couple <laughs> questions. First of all, obviously that makes sense because it is a personal experience you had. But I just told you about friends dying from heroin. I know, from and I'm thinking about my cat. from my grandparents' ghosts visiting us. I opened up to you about all sorts of stuff, and the thing that hit you most was the cat one. The cat one was got well, got through. Not my grandfather's body inhabiting my grandfather's spirit inhabiting my body, or my my grandmother's voice appearing in my mother's head post death. The thing that got through to you the most was the cat. I thought about stuff like that too, but you were talking, so I didn't want to. But it clearly didn't stick because what you brought up immediately was the cat. I just missed my cat. So that is, I mean, that is, uh, you know, I'm joking about it, but that is your experience with death. And that's part of, I think, why, I think that's part of why we own pets is because you learn those life lessons through them. So you do know death. You have seen death. I mean, my grandparents, both my grandfathers died. Did you know them at all? Yeah, one died when I was really small. 
and I cried, but I don't know if I cried because he died. I think I cried because it was my mom's father and she was upset. Yeah, yeah. So you've never dealt you've never dealt with death at an age where it was Yeah, my other grandfather died when I was fifteen and I didn't really process it. And then I actually like had a really inappropriate crying fit at his funeral. Oh no, I think <laughs> Is there such a thing as an inappropriate crying fit at a funeral? Well, it was like the point where like I was like wailing and the, I like had to like cover my mouth with my hand and people don't were apologize like people were like that. trying to speak. I don't know. I have You're crying at a funeral. That's the number one place where no one can ever judge you for crying. Well, it's interesting actually. When my friend died that I was telling you about, I felt guilty for like crying about it because we weren't that close. Why? Because I'm I'm a big crier, and I was like, I remember crying next to these people that were like his best friends, and I felt like I shouldn't be crying that much. I don't know. I don't know if you can apologize for feeling something <laughs> that genuine. You know, I don't yeah. know. It's not a negative emotion to feel sympathy or loss or fear in the face of that. And even if it is, even if it's your own fear and that there's a little bit of selfishness in some way if that's what's driving it you can't apologize for that you you get faced with these things you don't expect you can't apologize i know you you seem you apologize a lot huh yeah yeah <laughs> i get it i do that too but i i'm really against the older i get the more i'm like let's not you shouldn't apologize for crying at a funeral you don't have to be that tough all the time right I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know why I'm so upset about that in particular. <laughs> so uh, your cat, your cat is what sticks with you the most. We've talked for almost an hour and our full circle moment is a cat. We talked about everything. We talked about financial trauma and future responsibility. We talked about how you're going to move forward with your life in the face of alcoholic parents who raised you in a way that wasn't fair. We've talked about ponderings of death and what we ultimately looped back around to was, uh, yeah, I had to put a cat to sleep one time. Well, it was, it was a death where we decided it was going to happen and I knew it was going to happen and I said bye and then I didn't go. You didn't but then do like, it? I didn't go with my mom to do it. Yeah. Do you wish you did? Do you, do you think it would have taught you something or like you'd be? No, I, God, no, no. Oh, so you, this death thing really isn't, this is not bullshit. You really don't, you're not into thinking about it. I, I don't know. I'm sort of confused as to how we're not all thinking about it all the time. It is kind of a miracle. It, how, we fill how are our we days. all not just trying to figure it out? I could die today. You could die today. Yeah. I don't know who you are. If you die, <laughs> if you die tonight, I won't know. That's no, crazy. I have no idea. Wow. I don't know if you die though. Weird. I hope you Weird don't die. thing to say. All right, if you if I die tonight, I will um I'll inhabit your body. Okay, yeah. If you let's make a deal. If you if if you die and you find out that there is an afterlife and you can somehow affect things, I'm sure you have bigger people to focus on. It sounds like you certainly are gonna want to haunt your dad and your mom on some level. Please no. just send me a signal. You don't, you, you, here's a thing I find so fascinating about you. It, there was real trauma in your childhood. You don't sound bitter. You don't sound like you're mad at anybody. I love, no, I love my parents so much. <laughs> wow. So you, you're able to, you're able to, at the same time, concurrently recognize that your parents did screw you up, but that you love them and you're totally down with them. Yeah, I'm not angry. I'm just sad about it. Wow. A lot. I feel like more often than not, you find people who are angry. 
but you still like hanging out with them. Yeah, it's important to me. And I think I'm worried that like, I think as much as I still like spend time with them, I think I am worried that like when they die, like I'll have a lot of like unresolved like stuff with them. Yeah. Do you ever think about sitting them down and having that heart to heart so you can move on from the the other part, or is it just not about even worth it? About when they die, or like like you just said, you're going to have unresolved stuff with them. Do you think about is it is it stuff you can resolve, or is that just an impossibility? Oh, we sat down and talked about it at a time. But it's just never going to be fully. There's just no way you can live a whole childhood like that and have it resolved. You can have it addressed. I mean, maybe it would be resolved if like. I don't, I don't know. I feel resolved with my dad. Okay. Which, which I actually feel kind of bad about. Why? Because they both... Why do, you, <laughs> why do you feel bad about healing because wounds? Bad, because I feel bad that, um, that I don't feel that I, that I still have... I'm, I fight with my mom and I don't fight with my dad because my mom is... Um, my mom is... Uh, she's like mean. But my dad really made some big fucking mistakes. But I'm not mad. Like, I, Why feel, are you, I feel bad for my mom. because The my apologizing mom like, thing again, though. The apologizing. <laughs> Instead of letting it be a good thing that you resolved it with your dad, it becomes a negative thing because you haven't resolved it with your mom. This apologizing thing, I, you know, you're seeing a shrink on the early stages. I would point out to them the apologizing thing. I feel Layman's bad opinion. for them. I feel really bad for them. I think that's fair. And have you, how can I ask this just to throw another curveball in the mix? How's your uh, how's the dating life? <laughs> how's the dating life affected by this? You got a boyfriend and girlfriend? I don't judge. I'm down with everybody. Um, I always have a boyfriend. You do serial monogamous that type? Yeah, I've never been single for more than three months since I was like fourteen years old. Wow, and so it sounds like just the phrasing of that sounds like you tend to maybe date guys and stick with it even if you're not totally into it. I think I think I'm totally into it. I think I pick people that love, like are I'm are it's really obvious that they Sorry. I uh I think I pick people that um that I know like could like love me, that I know are like really into it. Oh, so and it's less about how you feel about them and more about their feelings towards you. Yeah, I immediately, I immediately, I'm like, oh, I really like love this person. And that's that's clearly rooted in your childhood and, and your parents' relationship, right? That's a goddamn no brainer. <laughs> Is it? If you're constantly getting in relationships just because they're sustainable as relationships, even if there's not true feeling behind them, yeah, I'd say that might relate to being the the child of what sounds like a pretty traumatic. I think there's feeling in them at the time. I'm comfortable, but then when I, uh, I don't know if I'm particularly attracted to them when I first meet them. You're attracted to the idea of what they can offer. Yeah, it's like stability and, yeah. So why, why not have a stretch being single? How come you always scramble to get back in another relationship? I hate being alone. Don't like it. Don't like a. Don't no, I like, hate it. Don't like you. Don't like being alone in a bed at night where you have to sit and think and and process your real feelings and thoughts. Yeah. Wow. So you got a boyfriend now? No, I have someone that likes me, that I think could become a boyfriend, but I'm very resilient. So as this guy's asked you out. 
Yeah, we actually uh, we had sex last night for the first time. You had sex last night for the first time with a boy who likes you. Yes. How was it? Can I ask? How was it? I like this. I like that. <laughs> so um, we've gone from death to to rebirth. The whole cycle um, of life in one phone call. Well, it was short. <laughs> it was short. Oh, that sounds not good. It was three times, but they were all short. Wait, three times in a night? <laughs> yeah. So this guy's just like a rabbit. This well, guy's here's just... what's funny. We fucked together and it was really fast. And then he didn't aim to make me feel good. Like he After... didn't try to do anything else. And it and... sounds like he's been chasing you for a while. Not for a while. But he's made it clear, hey, I dig you, I'm into it. And then yeah. he just, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go downtown. He doesn't, he doesn't, no foreplay. He's not doing any buildup. He's just like, me, 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 me. Yeah, and the sex was good, but it wasn't, I didn't get anything. I didn't get my time. Why do guys do that? I've never, maybe it's because I grew up a, a, a nerd who assumed I would just never experience vagina. But I really put in the effort and time. Why don't guys put in the effort and time? Is this it's a real good looking guy? It's a, uh, no. Well, yeah, he's good looking. He's short. He's short. So you'd think he'd feel a need to work. Well, I think there's just a kind of a, I think that's just our culture. I think have two people having sex and only the guy orgasming is just seen as normal when it shouldn't be. I bet, I bet this guy is young enough that he grew up with access to hardcore pornography on the internet, which I did not. I bet he's just seen it so many times where it's all about the guy well, getting, he made, he getting made, pleased. Yeah, and he made up for it too. Like at first I, when it happened, I... I don't know. I've become more aware of the people that I'm about to date. So I was like, this is a red flag. Don't keep dating this person just because he's here and he likes you and that's what you like. Because then you're going to develop strong feelings for this person and end up in another relationship with somebody that you know is not the person you're supposed to be with. Okay. So I actually turned to him and I was like, you're really selfish. After the sex, you told him he was selfish. Yeah, I was like, you're really selfish. Wow. Selfish lover. You said that after the first time you had sex, you told the guy he was a selfish lover? Yeah. And how did he react? Was he shell-shocked? Or was uh, he admitted? Yes. Did he know? He, he didn't. Did, was he aware that that was the case? I'm fascinated by this. He was really shocked. He wow. Said, um, he said he like covered his head with a blanket. He like apologized profusely. And he was like, I would love to do that. Was he aware of the problem? Did he recognize the facts of the matter after the case? Or did you have to explain to him like, hey... Feel me out. Listen. Sense how it's going for me. Or did he understand? Like, yeah, I just went in. I just went a little nuts. No, he immediately was like, "Yeah, totally." Oh, totally. Oh, wow. And then he, and then it was my turn, and it was great. So it was funny though because I think I just had gotten to a point where I was like, "Okay, this wasn't good, so I'm done with this. I'm never going to see this guy again. Might as well just tell him everything I actually think." Wow. But then he made up for it. So now I was like, "Oh shit! Well, now I kind of want to see you again." But now let me. Can I ask another question? Yeah. Now, when he made up for it, was it like explosive? Because you were like, I just fucking owned this. No, I didn't Um, actually finish because we had talked about it. (laughs) Oh, so you put yourself in your own head about it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. You you psyched yourself out. Uh, Or were you punishing him? Were you punishing him a little bit? Was there a subconscious part of you that was like, you will never make me come, you selfish brat? I will not allow it. I will not allow it. You have to work even harder. I think I was just over it. I was just kind of like, okay. It was, it was more like, do that, because you should do that. Wow. Um, yeah, so then it was kind of like word vomit. Whoa, wait. Okay, explain. I just was like, 
you know, I've been playing it really cool with this person. Okay. Like, I actually, he he kissed me when we were hanging out. Okay. And then he was, that's, that's how it first, like, started. And then the next day, I went on an OkCupid date with this guy. Different guy. Different guy. And that so, would be weird if you went on an OkCupid date with a guy you already knew and kissed. I don't know why I asked that. It yeah. was a dumb question. Um, so we, yeah, I, um, so last night the kid was like, you did something weird the other day. You texted me that you were on a date the night after I kissed you. And that's true. You had done that. Yeah. I had texted him saying, well, I had taken an okay keep a date to a bar on drag night and I didn't realize it was drag night. Okay. And I thought that was funny and I want, and so I sent him a text about it, but. That is a weird thing for you to do. I will say, I agree with the guy on that. Well, but then he said, but come to think of it, the next day I immediately asked you on a date. Oh, so like like, he, he was like, this is a shit or get off the pot moment for me. Yeah, I think I did kind of do that on purpose. Oh, where you were like, hey, buddy, I'm not sitting around waiting for you. This ain't high school. Yeah. And then I never asked him to hang out ever. I let him ask me every single time. So to, to stop, I like stopped playing it cool. Okay. Okay. And it just became word vomit. It was like, this is everything I want and this is everything I'm looking for. And I don't know if this is going to work out because you seem really selfish. And if we're ever going to do this again, you need to like get your shit together. And you were talking purely sexually, get your shit together sexually with how you approach pleasing me as a woman, get it together. Yeah. And he was really receptive. I mean, he, he said that I was weird. Can I tell you from the perspective of a guy that conversation would crush me for years. Yes. Kudos to you for having it. I think, I think hearing that you're empowered to do that and saying that doesn't happen enough. That being said, that dude must be on the ropes, deservedly so. He seemed really somewhat miserable. <laughs> yeah, I get it. He's been told he's a bad lover after pining for you. But I get he, it. He wasn't bad. It just was brief and... Then if it's brief, then follow it up with something not so brief. Yeah, I mean you're being polite right now, but let's just say this: if you're a, <laughs> if you're a, if you're a short guy and you bust quick, <laughs> that ain't the end of the night. You got some work to do, short man. Okay. Then meet me out. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, get down there. Get well, down there and get the to thing work. Too. Here's the thing, too. Yeah. What's what, the thing? What also added to this conversation was we had kissed a couple times before last night. But he never used tongue. What? No tongue. He's just a, he just pecks? Not pecks, like open mouth kissing. And I actually recently got out of a long-term relationship with someone. This will, this will flash back to what we were talking about before. Great, perfect. I, I was in a two and a half year relationship with a guy who could not kiss with tongue or go down on me. Because he had, he'd had a lot of medical problems as a child, so he was severely germaphobic. Severely germaphobic to the point where he can't go down on a girl? To the point where he couldn't even stick his tongue in my mouth for a second just to prove that he could do it. And you stayed with him for two and a half years? For two and a half years. You did not get... Can I just be frank? Yeah. You're a, you're a sexually comfortable woman. You didn't get, you didn't get, you didn't get your, uh, you didn't get eaten out for two and a half years. No. Oh yeah, you can never, you can never let that become a pattern again, right? So- while we were making out at his place last night, I was like, why aren't you sticking your tongue in my mouth? Yeah. And he was like, I could do that. So then he did it. And I was like, okay, cool. 
So then when he didn't go down on me after sex, I was like, are you germaphobic? Because I can't do this again. Yeah, no, I got to say, let's, let's, uh, let's be honest. Are you sticking this one out after that experience? Well, here's the thing. He was, seemed really eager to please and to learn. Are you ever going to respect him, though? That's what I don't know. I mean, I recently had, like, a brief fling with this guy who was, uh, I'm going to go as far as to say a monster. A monster? In he what was, way? He was a terrible person. Like a monster? Was, yeah. He, like, um, was he, like, a racist who beat people up? No, he was just horrible to me for months and then asked me to be exclusive. And then after we broke up, uh, I ended up having a drink with his ex-girlfriend which was a crazy thing to do. And we compared timelines and he was like having unprotected sex with her and just like a bunch of other people the entire time. So while I, while I, so he's a monster. He's a monster. Any relationship that ends with you getting a drink with an ex of the person, because (laughs) that person's so demented that you have to have like a survivor's group meeting. Yeah. That ain't good. But he was amazing in bed. Just amazing. Of course he was. They always are. Because he's crazy. Of course, yeah. Everybody likes sleeping with a crazy person. It's the best. So I it's think the best. I think it was hard to go from sleeping with a crazy person to sleeping with this a, a regular person. Regular person. Wow. So you, that is the ideal. You want to find someone who you want to find a lady. You want to find a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets. That's what you want. To quote an old song, you want somebody who appears normal and can be tender and loving, but then also will fuck you like a lunatic. That's what you want. Yeah. In general, all of us, and you in particular, it sounds like. And specifically with short guys, it's sort of like right off the bat, I feel like an enormous person. <laughs> so you feel like an Amazon. Yes. Especially because you cuddle after and they put their head on your shoulder and it's ooh. like. I'm like 5'7". That's right on the cusp of short. I'm a, I think I'm a slight man. I, I have some insecurity about it. Yeah, I'm also 5'7". My wife is taller than than I am, and I do sometimes get insecure about it. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, I no. married up. I married up. I married no, no. A, a tall Protestant. I but married here's up. Here's the thing: height doesn't matter. It's like the attitude. Are you being? Oh, the, that shit. Are you being the dominant person? If you're this being guy, dominant, I don't care how tall you are. This guy sounds like a short man. This guy sounds like a certifiably short person, not height wise. Internally. He didn't seem like it though, because we had been hanging out, and he just like just kissed me like out of nowhere, and it was super hot. And I was like, "This is a confident person that takes what they want." And then, and then all of a sudden, it's like a uh, '80s movie sex session. It's like I you had sex with Timon. How to be good at sex? Nah, you don't. You don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Do you think he's had much experience? Well, here's the thing. I eventually, he was really close off, but I had asked him, like, when's the last time you slept with someone? He's like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that, yada, yada, yada. Turns, you, out it, turns out it was a long time ago. You might have de-virginized this boy. I didn't. I don't think so. He's 30. Did you consider it, though? I asked him. You asked him <laughs> if he'd ever slept with someone? Yes. Don't see this person again. You don't want to see this person again. You eviscerated him after you, as the pieces of this puzzle come together. And you're laughing because you know it's true. You were pissed off after this bad sex and you eviscerated him. And then he ate your pussy and you didn't come. And then you sent him home. And then he nuzzled nuzzled on your giant shoulder and then you sent him home. Do you know what's even more sick? What? 
the guy that the crazy guy that I said was great in bed did not get me off a single time. What? Then why? How was he great in bed? I don't know. Is that do you do you have trouble getting off in general? Um, I didn't used to. Wow. So what was so great about the crazy guy if he couldn't get you off? Uh, he was really confident and he'd throw you around um, and stuff. Yeah. He'd like pick you up and throw you up against a wall and do why what he wanted. Why don't all guys do that? I don't know. I learned that lesson. I'm a meek and mild mannered man, but when it's time to step up, I think I, I think I'd do my best. Um, my uh, I'm in trouble. In what sense? Uh, I went over my break time, and my boss is yelling at me, so I have to go. Okay, that's the that's the perfect way to get out of here. This could not have been a better scripted ending to this thing. Well, thank you so much, stranger, for sharing all your tales of a. Uh, Traumatic childhood and sexual um, uh, details. It was very nice of you to be so open, and it means a lot to me. And I wish you well in your future. And though we may never speak again, I hope everything turns out great and you uh, over- overcome your past and have a future with a guy who can get you off. Thank you, caller. And I hope you get all the satisfaction that you need in your life. Um, both sexually, death-related, and and most of all financially. I I encouraged you to get on your 401k. I myself could use some advice on that. If you're a financial planner out there and you want to help out your old pal Gether, please do get in touch. I want to thank John Delore. I want to thank Greta Cohen. I want to thank all the listeners who are rating, reviewing, subscribing to this podcast. Your enthusiasm has been incredible. Again, huge, huge thanks to Ira Glass and This American Life for shining a spotlight on us and helping us so much. Thanks to Shell Shag for all the music. You guys are incredible and good friends, and I love you. ChrisGeth.com if you want to know where I'll be out on the road doing stand-up. The Chris Gethard Show if you want to support our talk show, which I'm so excited about this year. We just had uh, Lena Dunham on. We have so many good guests coming down the pike. You guys are incredible. Thanks for supporting this show. It's been such an exciting thing to see it catch on, and I hope we can keep you guys engaged and excited because these phone calls have been so exciting to me thank you so much we'll be back next week with more beautiful stories from anonymous people you never know how these conversations turn out on beautiful anonymous okay we all know that but i can give you a little taste of what the next episode's going to be well, I was looking at the Twitter, and then I said, I'm going to call Chris Gethard. And he answered the phone, and I talked about myself for a very long time. I'm so obsessed with myself. Pew, pew, pew. I I, what happened? I was, adding some, I was adding a Jamaican air horn hip-hop thing. Go, 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 go. <laughs> because I think I am the greatest musician in the whole entire world. I need the world to know. Oh, yeah. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Get out your passports, because you're about to cross the border into hard nation. I'm Mark Hard, a proud conservative. And I'm Pete Hard, a godless liberal. We're two brothers with different perspectives, but a passion for politics. And now we bring that passion to our show on Earwolf. Now, finally, there's a podcast that tells it like it is about what's really going on in this country. That's right. It's the election of the century, and we're the only ones willing to ask the real questions like, Hillary Clinton, what do you order at Chipotle? 
or Ted Cruz. Who would you cast in Ghostbusters? Check out Hard Nation today on Earwolf.com, How, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Ooh, it's going to get hard in here. Get hard, people. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.com.